Well, hello everybody, this is Paul Boyer. Welcome to the Mad Money Machine, episode 12 for Tuesday, March 18th, 2014. In this episode of the Mad Money Machine, we will talk about the theft of 11 Bitcoin that shut down 12 lanes of traffic near Washington, D.C. We'll also have a spin at the Guru Roulette Wheel and a tool and a tool, a tool, a tool, a tool. Broadcasting from the Bitcoin bunker, six blocks below, brandishing the blockchain to fight good versus evil. This is Bitcoin versus the man. This is the battle of the century. This is the mad money machine. The pace of Bitcoin development is going crazy. We'll try to make sense of it all here on the Mad Money Machine. We'll also hear from Eric Schmidt and Warren Buffett and see what they have to say about Bitcoin. And we'll hear from Satoshi Nakamoto himself. That is Dorian Nakamoto. Here on the Mad Money Machine. Bitcoin and Namecoin walk into the Nakamoto Tavern. They find a table, sit down, order a few drinks, and have a nice, expensive lunch. After a while, Bitcoin asks the waitress for the check. Bitcoin says, when you guess the number I'm thinking of between one and 1,200, I'll tip you an extra $25. Waitress says, one. Bitcoin says, that is not correct. Guess again. Two. No, guess again. Three, no, guess again. Four, no, guess again. Five, no, guess again. Well, this goes on for about 10 minutes until the waitress says, 600. Bitcoin says, that's correct. He pays her bill and, and her tip and gives her the extra $25. The waitress says, thank you, and walks over to the cashier and says to her, you know, Bitcoin and Namecoin are great tippers, but a 10-minute guessing time is just too long. Cashier says, yeah, I know. When Litecoin and Feathercoin eat here, it only takes a couple of minutes to guess their silly numbers, but their tips stink. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Mad Money Machine, episode 12 for March 19th, 2014. I'm Paul Boyer. Great to have you listening. Great to be able to do this show. Sure appreciate the opportunity. Why is it that everything seems to happen on the day I release a show? Last Tuesday... In Rockville, Maryland, not too far from where I am here, manhunt leads to massive roadblock. Thousands of motorists were brought to a standstill when police conducted a massive roadblock to find three crime suspects. Twelve lanes of traffic were shut down and swarms of armed government agents combed through the giant traffic jam, performing vehicle-to-vehicle searches. Last Tuesday, morning commute was halted just after 10 a.m. Of course, by 10 a.m., all the federal government workers had already been there. They were eating lunch by this time. They get up about 5 a.m. and drive to work and so they can leave there at 1 p.m. Uh, so it didn't really affect the federal government uh, commuters. But for normal citizens, one driver said traffic was stopped and he witnessed 30 police cars pass on the shoulders of I-270 near Rockville, Maryland. He said, when I saw the wall of police officers with automatic weapons approaching our cars, it was apparent that something serious was taking place. Well, police had received intelligence that a robbery of 11 bitcoins had happened and that the vehicle carrying the three suspects had turned on to the interstate highway. 11 bitcoins, a throng of officers from Rockville, Montgomery County, Maryland State Police blockaded all lanes of traffic in both directions and began conducting an intense manhunt. And if you see the pictures of this, can you imagine sitting behind your steering wheel and here comes walking at you three guys with guns drawn and pointed for 11 bitcoins. Motorist Carmel Desrochet said, it's just awful. I've never seen both directions of 270 like this before. It was painful. 
The search was described later by Montgomery County Police Captain Paul Starks as an operation of systematically checking the trunks and rear hatches of the detained vehicles. Now, when I say 11 Bitcoin were stolen, what I really mean there is the equivalent of 11 Bitcoin in dollars was stolen, which is about $7,000, was stolen from a Wells Fargo bank. Wells Fargo must have some pretty significant pull to be able to shut down 12 lanes of traffic for $7,000 or 11 Bitcoins. I mean, it does turn out that after about an hour and a half of this going car to car, police did find the guys and arrested them. But an hour and a half of detaining how many people from performing productive work? Calculate the cost compared to 11 Bitcoin. And speaking of Wells Fargo and Bitcoin, let's hear from what one of the largest shareholders in Wells Fargo thinks about Bitcoin, Warren Buffett. He owns 463 million shares of Wells Fargo stock, worth about $21 billion. He was asked on CNBC's Squawk Box, what do you think about Bitcoin? I'm curious, if, if we were all using Bitcoin, would this have been different in 2008? What do you think of that whole thing? I was at a conference, the Allen Company conference in Arizona, the tech conference, and Bitcoin was the big two-syllable word that everybody was talking about and trying to understand. I'm just curious of your thoughts on Stay that. Stay away from it. Stay away from Bitcoin. <laughs> well, it's a mirage, basically. I mean, it's a, it's a method of, of transmitting money. It's a very effective way of transmitting money, and you can do it anonymously and all that. A check is a way of transmitting money, too. Our checks are worth a whole lot of money just because they can transmit money. Our money orders, you can transmit money by money orders. People do it. I hope Bitcoin becomes a better way of doing it, but you can replicate it a bunch of different ways, and it will be. And the idea that it has some huge intrinsic value is just a joke, in my view. That's interesting to compare it to those things. Have you thought of that? It's like, yeah, I mean... That's what it's doing, it's transmitting. There's something that the checks are actually drawn, you're drawing upon something. It's not the... Right, you're transmitting money. It's, yeah, it's dollars on both ends. I mean, ledger. from the guy that puts it in. Right. Yeah. What? Isn't it a ledger? It's a ledger, right? It's an electronic yeah. ledger. Yeah. It's a very fast money order. Anonymous. <laughs> well, Eric Mack, who covers science and innovation for Forbes magazine, wrote an article that says Warren Buffett fundamentally misunderstands Bitcoin. And he refers to this interview on CNBC. He says, I'm not normally in the habit of being particularly bullish on Bitcoin, nor of arguing with perhaps the most successful self-made human ever. But Buffett's just wrong here. And he wasn't questioned by the business press around him, either because they view the totality of his words as gospel or because they don't understand Bitcoin any better themselves. Eric Mack says, to be clear, I'm not saying his advice to stay away from Bitcoin is wrong, but the comparison of Bitcoin to a check or money order or other method of transmitting money is the same as lumping Bitcoin in with the likes of PayPal. This is clearly wrong. Bitcoin, for the most part of the last year, has been treated essentially as a volatile commodity that has encouraged rampant speculation. In that respect, it's more like gold than a check, which has no intrinsic value in and of itself. However, unlike gold, Bitcoin also has a higher degree of liquidity on its own, admittedly among a tiny but growing number of companies, most notably Overstock.com. Well, on this I have to say Eric Mack is wrong too, because Bitcoin is both a commodity and a money transmission system. Well, Warren Buffett regained his spot as the second richest person in the world recently, which I guess makes him the second smartest person in the world as well, right? So my advice to everyone, sell all your Bitcoins right away, because Warren Buffett says they are a mirage. And speaking of Warren Buffett and Bitcoin, here's something else interesting. There's a website, bitbet.us, run by the controversial figure Mircea Popescu of Romania. It's a, um, it's a betting site for Bitcoin, or if you prefer, a um, prediction market for Bitcoin, where you don't even need an account. All you need to do is submit your Bitcoin address to place a bet on a bet that someone anonymously submitted to bitbet.us. Well, one of the bets that popped up 
was Bitcoin to surpass Berkshire as an investment. Berkshire Hathaway, of course, the company Warren Buffett owns. The bet basically says that uh, one share of Berkshire A in Bitcoin is roughly about 314 Bitcoin. The bet resolves to know if a share of Berkshire trades above 314 uh, this time next year. Otherwise, it trades, it, the bet resolves to yes. In other words, if you bet yes on this, you are saying that Bitcoin will outperform Berkshire Hathaway by this time next year. And as I understand it, the guy that uh, runs this bitbet.us bet 1,000 Bitcoin on yes, which is, works out, of course, to be about three quarters of a million dollars. Now, I've never bet on bitbet.us. Now, I did, just for fun, create a bet out there. I, I didn't place any uh, bit, Bitcoin on the bet, but my bet was a golfer from the USA will win the 2014 Masters. Now, if someone from the USA does win it, that resolves to yes. If someone from any country other than the United States wins it, then it resolves to no. Of course, the Masters completes on April 13th, if it's not rained out or not a playoff. I don't do sports betting myself. I think prediction markets are an interesting uh, technology. And I think this bitbet.us, you know, it looks interesting. I've read on uh, Reddit where someone got, uh, they lost their Bitcoin by placing a bet on this site. They bet 10 Bitcoin on something. And the transaction never fully resolved by the time the bet resolved. So the uh, website operator took the 10 Bitcoin that eventually resolved through the blockchain, uh, but didn't resolve in time for the bet. So there's some controversy there. Of course, the problem was whoever placed the bet, they didn't put any transaction fees on, on the uh, transfer of the Bitcoin to allow the uh, payment to go through quickly on the Bitcoin network. So it's kind of, <laughs> you know, who's scamming who here? Bottom line is if you do place a bet, with bitbet.us, make sure to include a transaction fee so that your transaction completes before uh, the time the bet needs to be placed. Well, BitBet is not the Madman Machine Tool of the Week. No, we'll get to that a little bit later. For right now, let's play a round of the world's favorite game, Guru Roulette. I've replaced the numbers on a roulette wheel with the names of Bitcoin gurus. I'll spin the wheel and roll the barbell. And for the selected guru, give you a little background on their Bitcoin philosophy. So here we go. And the winner this time on Mad Machine episode 12 for March 19th, 2014 is Adam Back. Adam Back, born July 1970. One month shy of exactly nine years after Barack Obama, or 9AO, has a computer science PhD from the University of Exeter, and he is the inventor of Hashcash, the proof-of-work system used by Bitcoin and several anti-spam systems. Hashcash has also been used in a number of other protocols, such as combating blog spam and defending against user namespace pollution. Well, Adam Back was the subject of an interview that I have talked about on Let's Talk Bitcoin a couple weeks ago. Apostle Andreas interviewed Adam Back. It was a very intense interview, getting into very technical details about how Bitcoin works and how it could work better. But what I'd like to focus on uh, in this Guru Roulette segment is Hashcash. One of the problems Hashcash tried to solve was the problem of email spam. The idea was... You know, if email cost a little bit of money to send, then whoever sent lots and lots of email might find it too expensive to send so much spam around. This was an idea that Bill Gates had in one of his books uh, 20 or so years ago. He thought that micropayments added to email could, make, could help reduce spam. Well, instead of that, Adam Back came up with this hash cash idea that instead of using money, you used computer time. And that's where the term hash cash comes from. The computer performs a hash function, effectively giving you cash to send the email. And how it works is the sender prepares a header and adds an initial random number to it, computes the hash of the header. If the first 20 bits of the hash are zeros, then it is an acceptable header. Hmm, sound familiar? 
If not, then the sender increments the random number and tries again. It takes about one second on a reasonable computer to find this acceptable hash. On the receiver side, the recipient calculates the hash of the entire string, which takes about two microseconds. If the first 20 bits are not all zero, the hash is invalid. The recipient's computer checks the date in the header as well. If it's not within two days of the current date, it's invalid, and it performs some other tests. And if the hash string passes all of the valid tests, it is considered a valid hash string. All of these tests take far less time and disk space than receiving the body content of the email. So, you know, it doesn't cost a lot to receive it. It just costs a little bit to send it. Well, this hash cache system was originally proposed in March of 1997 by Adam Back. Now, an article by Chris Dixon out at cdixon.org recently talked about Adam Back's hash cache. And Chris Dixon also referred to Adam Smith, who called money stored labor. If you do your work and then store your labor as money, which you can later exchange for labor stored by other people, storing labor in the form of money turns out to be a very flexible system for trading labor and far superior to the barter system of performing work whenever your counterparty performs work. So Adam Smith's version of Hashcash is a system where you get credits for doing computation. You store your computational credits and spend them at your leisure. If you want to send an email, you spend a little bit of stored hash cash. If I send you an email and you reply, we're even. If you send out a billion spam emails, it costs you a lot and undermines your spammy business model. He goes on to say that if a, it seems plausible that if a system like stored hash cash were developed, some people would prefer to purchase stored hash cash directly instead of generating it themselves. A market for stored hash cash would emerge, with the value being some function of the supply and demand of scarce internet resources. So uh, Chris Dixon asks, here's my question. Suppose someone invented a way to store hash cash. It could dramatically reduce spam and denial of service attacks and more efficiently allocate network bandwidth and other internet resources. How valuable would stored hash cash be? Now it's interesting to note in that article by Chris Dixon, one of the comments below was from Adam Back. I'll have a link to it in the show notes of Mad Men Machine episode 21. Congratulations, Adam Back. You're the guru on Mad Men Machine episode 12. Well, finally, something happens on the day before I release my show, and that is Dorian Satoshi Nakamoto released his letter saying that he is the subject of the Newsweek story on Bitcoin, and he's writing this statement to clear my name, he says. I did not create, invent, or otherwise work on Bitcoin. I unconditionally deny this Newsweek report. The first time I heard the term Bitcoin was from my son in mid-February 2014. After being contacted by a reporter, my son called me and used the word which I'd never heard before. And he continues on. He says his background is engineering. I also have the ability to program, he says. My most recent job was electrical engineering troubleshooter at air traffic control for the FAA. I have no knowledge, nor have I ever worked on cryptography, peer-to-peer -peer systems, or alternative currencies. Hmm. His English sounds pretty good there, though, doesn't it? Well, he talks about the fact that he hasn't been able to find steady work as an engineer or programmer for 10 years. He's worked as a laborer, poll taker, substitute teacher... He actually discontinued his internet service in 2013 due to severe financial distress. And I know Apostle Andreas uh, started up a, a donation campaign, and I think it's up to $40,000 worth of Bitcoin to give to the guy. Dorian continues, Newsweek's false report has been the source of a great deal of confusion and stress for myself, my 93-year-old mother, my siblings, and their families. I offer my sincerest thanks to those people in the United States and around the world who have offered me their support. I have retained legal counsel. This will be our last public statement on the matter. I ask that you now respect our privacy. Dorian, Satoshi Nakamoto, Temple City, California, March 17th, 2014. Thank you, Dorian, for coming out with that statement before I released my show on Tuesday. Time now for the Madman Machine Merchant of the Week. 
This is where we randomly select a Bitcoin merchant from spendbitcoins.com slash places. Now up to 369 pages. So I'll roll a 369-sided die to select the right page and a 10-sided die to select the item on the page. So the page number is 334. And the item on the page is number one. And that takes us to the Santa Cruz Experience. The Santa Cruz Experience offers many different kinds of transportation in the Bay Area. From wine tours to wedding transportation to airport shuttling, we provide every kind of transportation service you might need. Our drivers are personal, professional, service-oriented, and down-to-earth. Allow us to provide your transportation solutions around Santa Cruz and beyond. Well, the cost of an airport shuttle from Santa Cruz to the San Jose Airport is $50. From Santa Cruz to San Francisco, SFO, $80. And to Oakland, also $80. They say for further discounts, pay with the convenient online currency Bitcoin. See payments buttons at the bottom of the page and call with any questions. On their checkout page, they have a Mount Gox checkout button. My question was B. Why haven't you changed your button that allows us to actually pay you in Bitcoin? Well, congratulations, the Santa Cruz experience. You're the Mad Money Machine, Millibit Merchant of the Week. This week's Mad Money Machine... Altcoin of the week is Namecoin, a cryptocurrency which also acts as an alternative decentralized DNS. And with ICANN now completely out of US control, it's pretty interesting to have Namecoin allow us to avoid domain name censorship by making a new top level domain outside of ICANN control, and in turn making internet censorship much more difficult, as well as reduce outages. Namecoin uses modified Bitcoin software and like Bitcoin, there's a limit of 21 million name coins. Each name coin is divisible down to eight decimal places. Namecoin currently uses the .bit domain. As of January 2014, 123,000 .bit domains have been registered. Now, what's interesting about Namecoin is the mining is merged with Bitcoin. And that means a node can mine for both Namecoin and Bitcoin simultaneously at the same rate that they would mine for just one. And you know what stinks about Namecoin? There's no wallet available in binary for the Macintosh. But you know what's cool about Namecoin? There's a Google Chrome extension that allows you to get to .bit domains. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Well, that's the Mad Money Machine Altcoin of the Week, Namecoin. It's time now for Satoshi's Corner. Let's continue now our study through Satoshi's breakthrough paper, Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system, released in late 2008. Section 1, Introduction, indicated that we need an electronic payment system based on cryptographic proof instead of third-party trust. Section 2, Transactions, defined an electronic coin and described how owners transfer the coin to the next owner and indicating that we need a way for the payee to know that the previous owner didn't sign any earlier transactions, that is, double-spend the coin. Section 3, we did last week, Timestamp Server. Talked about hashing a block of items and widely publishing the data, proving that the data must have existed at the time in order to get into the hash. Now we come to section four, proof of work. Satoshi writes, to implement a distributed timestamp server on a peer-to-peer basis, we will need to use a proof of work system similar to Adam Back's hash cache, footnote six, rather than newspaper or Usenet posts. The proof of work involves scanning for a value that when hashed, such as with SHA-256, the hash begins with a number of zero bits. The average work required is exponential in the number of zero bits required and can be verified by executing a single hash. For our timestamp network, 
we implement the proof of work by incrementing a nonce in the block until a value is found that gives the block's hash the required zero bits. Once the CPU effort has been expended to make it satisfy the proof of work, the block cannot be changed without redoing the work. As later blocks are chained after it, the work to change the block would include redoing all the blocks after it. The proof of work also solves the problem of determining representation in majority decision making. If the majority were based on one IP address one vote, it could be subverted by anyone able to allocate many IPs. Proof of work is essentially one CPU, one vote. The majority decision is represented by the longest chain, which has the greatest proof-of-work effort invested in it. If a majority of CPU power is controlled by honest nodes, the honest chain will grow the fastest and outpace any competing chains. To modify a past block, an attacker would have to redo the proof-of-work of the block and all blocks after it and then catch up with and surpass the work of the honest nodes. We will show later that the probability of a slower attacker catching up diminishes exponentially as subsequent blocks are added. To compensate for increasing hardware speed and varying interest in running nodes over time, the proof-of-work difficulty is determined by a moving average targeting and an average number of blocks per hour. If they're generated too fast, the difficulty increases. Well, that's the end of section four. It's one of the key features that makes Bitcoin work. You have this blockchain now, this globally distributed electronic transaction log where data in it cannot be changed. And the data in the blockchain indicates all the transactions that have ever happened with Bitcoin. So in this section, Satoshi refers to Adam Back's hash cash. Footnote six there is hash cash, a denial of service countermeasure. He gives a URL there of hashcash.org slash papers slash hashcash.pdf, and it's from 2002. So one of the things in this section that's a little bit anachronistic is Satoshi talks about CPU effort. CPU being a central processing unit, or basically a single computer processor. I don't think he would have envisioned the kind of ASIC mining farms that are in existence today. Did you see the one recently? There's a video of it out. The largest Bitcoin mining farm in the United States. In the video, a news team interviews the gentleman running the Bitcoin mining farm somewhere in eastern Washington state, I suppose, because it's perhaps cool and because it um, has cheap electricity. The building was somewhere in the size between a large 7-Eleven and a small Costco, which is a pretty big range. But it looked enormous. They had some camera work looking down upon all the servers. Rows and rows and rows of blades of ASIC mining chips. The gentleman running the Bitcoin mining operation indicated that they mine about $8 million worth of Bitcoin per month. Now compare that to the value of Bitcoin's mined per day. At the price of 63 cents a millibit, there is $2.2 million of Bitcoin mined every day. So if this guy is getting $8 million a month, he's getting about three days out of every month of Bitcoin mined. Not too bad. Now when Satoshi wrote this section about proof of work, I doubt if he had any kind of a... that he ever envisioned that the amount of hashes computed per second would reach 35 million gigahashes per second is what's being computed right now. And I think the term for that is petahash or petahash. Gigahash, terahash, petahash. Just by way of comparison, March of last year, the number of gigahashes per second computed in proof of work, 34,000 gigahashes. Like I just mentioned, right now, 35 million. And it doesn't show any sign yet of slowing down. And my question is <laughs> how many gigahashes per second will it take for the required target to be all zeros? <laughs> I'd like for somebody to compute that. 
I, but uh, the bottom line is there's got to be a point where this difficulty levels out. Right now, so difficulty is the opposite of the uh, target. The target hash right now has about 16 zeros in it. Let me just double check. I'm looking at it. It looks like 15 zeros are needed for the target hash. So let's talk about some terms that are involved in performing this proof of work. And those are the target and the difficulty. The target is a 256-bit number, which is extremely large, that all Bitcoin clients share. Proof of work is successful when a hash is found that is lower than or equal to the current target. Now, the easiest possible target, also called the maximum target, is a value with eight leading zeros. And I'm speaking about hexadecim the hexadecimal form. And when you, when you look at a number with eight leading zeros followed by all Fs, that's the largest possible target. It's the biggest number. And inversely, then, that's the easiest difficulty, the lowest possible difficulty. That leading eight zero target, as I understand it, was the very first target used in proof of work going back to 2009. And it's defined as having difficulty of one the difficulty number that we see graphed is calculated by dividing the target with difficulty one. In other words, this leading eight zero target. Divide that by the current target. So when you divide that leading eight zero number by leading 15 zero number, you get a very large difficulty number indeed. The target is low. The difficulty goes high. Now, one great place to look at the difficulty of, over time is blockchain.info slash charts slash difficulty. At the moment, the current difficulty is over 4 billion. Remember, that started out as 1. Just for, as a point of reference, in um, March of 2012, difficulty was about 1.5 million. In March of 2013... Difficulty was somewhere around three to four million. And like I said, now the difficulty is four billion. Proof of work is getting a lot harder. The question is, will this rate of increase, this exponential rate of Bitcoin hashing power ever level off? Right now, if you look at it, it's a hockey stick. It's growing exponentially. What are the factors that are going to make this thing level off? Factor number one is we're going to reach a limit in the amount of hashes per second that an ASIC chip can achieve. Factor number two, we're going to reach a limit of the number of ASIC chips that can be put into a single physical location. Factor number three, we're going to reach a limit of the amount of electricity that someone's willing to spend to take a chance to find the target hash. And factor number four, when the reward of bitcoins decreases in about three years that may also limit the interest of miners in investing so much in mining hardware i'm not an expert in mining i haven't mined bitcoin that i know of i think when the, the very earliest bitcoin clients came out there was a button on there that says start mining i may have hit that button i never got any that way unfortunately but bitcoin mining is certainly becoming a, a specialized endeavor Yes, you can buy a mining rig and join a mining pool. But for me, if I want Bitcoin, I'm just going to go out and buy some. It's like I used to live in Maryland, and one of the great foods of Maryland is crabs from the Chesapeake Bay. We'd go to some crab shack and order a bushel of crabs or whatever, and uh, they'd dump them out on the table with newspapers covering the table. Sit there for a long time, cracking open these steamed crabs, to get at the crab meat. It was a lot of work for a tiny little piece of food. These days, I prefer just to buy a tub of crab meat. Well, that concludes our study of Section 4 of Satoshi's paper, Proof of Work. Only eight more sections to go. You're listening to Paul Boyer's Mad Money Machine. Well, what are some of the differences between Adam Back's hash cash and Satoshi Nakamoto's Bitcoin proof of work? Well, for Bitcoin, it automatically adjusts to the target difficulty. 
hash cash was manually adjusted every six months or a year. Bitcoin uses SHA-256 instead of Hashcash's SHA-1. Bitcoin uses double SHA. It does a hash of the hash for extra security. And Bitcoin actually uses fractional difficulty. You know, I I keep mentioning that uh, the target has a leading number of zeros. Well, you can also uh, change the difficulty of the target by it's not simply replacing an F for a zero. You can change the next uh, digit after the zero anywhere between zero and F, hexadecimal. So you could be five or three or eight or whatever to more granularly control the actual difficulty of the target. Well, let's pull something out of the Mad Money Machine Bitcoin tool crib. All this talk about targets and difficulty has me thinking, we need a tool to tell us what the difficulty is right now. Well, that's where blockexplorer.com slash Q comes in. You can get the difficulty, you can get the latest hash, you can get the block hash, you can get the hexadecimal target or the decimal target. And if you're really clever, you can have it automatically imported into a Google spreadsheet for you. Simply go out to blockexplorer.com slash Q, the letter Q, and you'll see a list of the real-time stats or the delayed stats that you can get from this website. For example, blockexplorer.com slash Q slash get difficulty shows us that the current difficulty for Bitcoin is 4.25 billion. And the hexadecimal target starts with those 15 leading zeros followed by 102B1. O2B1. Sounds like a license plate. Now, to create a Google spreadsheet to pull all of these data items into one single place, for each cell, say equals import data, parentheses, quote, and then use that URL, https colon slash slash blockexplorer.com slash q slash hex target, for example, end quote in parentheses and put that in a cell, and Google Spreadsheets will automatically put that data in the spreadsheet for your convenience. Next time you're wondering what the current target is, go to blockexplorer.com. That's our Mad Bun Machine Tool of the Week. And like the best things in life, it's free. Now hold on, hold on. I've got to I've got to do another tool this week. There's just too many things going on in the Bitcoin world. So let's do one more tool of the week. This tool is a new web wallet that I want you to go out and try. It looks really interesting. Greenaddress.it. Now, like blockchain.info's wallet, they don't store your private keys at their site. Everything is controlled in your browser. And like Electrum, they give you that big, long, mnemonic passphrase to help recover your private keys. Typically, you enable a quick PIN number to log into your wallet from any of your devices without having to use that big passphrase. But should their system ever be taken down or disappear, you can sleep safe with their automatic pre-signed transaction, that is an in-lock time, allowing you to simply wait for your selected expiry to get your funds. Yes, what they actually do is they protect your Bitcoins with both your key and their keys. You can set spending limits, you can set rate-limited transactions, and you're always the one in control. Well, I encourage you to go out and take a look at greenaddress.it. It's the future of web wallets. And like the best things in life, it's free. Okay, hold on, hold on. I got one more tool for you. Another tool of the week. And it's also a Bitcoin web wallet. Zappo.com, X-A-P-O. Now, this web wallet system has not only a wallet, but it has a super extra special protected offline storage called the Zappo Vault. They say they use layer after layer of proprietary security protocols, including man, machine, and even a mountain, to keep your Bitcoins locked away in cold storage until you, and only you, want to access them. How does it actually work, the security of this? Well, when you make a deposit into your vault account, they put the deposit in a computer that has never, ever 
touched the internet and never will touch the internet. They encrypt all the data, segregate it into different chunks, and copy it onto external drives and paper. Well, what happens when you want to retrieve your Bitcoin then? After you tell them the amount you want to retrieve, they use multiple security layers to verify that you have authorized the request, and that initiates a sequence of secure steps to get your requested Bitcoins transferred to your wallet then, out of your vault, and that's within 24 hours. How much does all this cost? Storage in Zappos Vault costs an annual fee of 0.12% for each deposit you make. For example, if you deposited 100 bitcoins in June 12, 2015, they would deduct 0.12 bitcoins that day. And if you leave your bitcoins in a vault for a year, they'd deduct another 0.12 bitcoins on June 12, 2016, and so on. Of course, I guess as the amount keeps dropping down, they would technically start withdrawing a little bit less, but no matter. Now, one of the other interesting things about Zappo is they do have vault insurance. They say that the vault is fully insured, backed by Meridian Insurance. Insurance is provided at no extra charge to vault users and covers all incidents that are not caused by you. For example, the insurance covers attacks by hackers, theft by a Zappo employee, a break-in at the physical vault location, and our bankruptcy. Hmm, wish we would have had that at Mt. Gox. In this event, any Bitcoins you lose will be replaced by Zappo. The only thing not insured against is your own actions or error. For example, if you don't follow basic security precautions like picking the word internet for your password, or if you give your password to someone else who then steals your coins. Well, greenaddress.it and zappo.com are interesting web wallets, and like the best things in life, they're free. Oh, okay, hold on. Just one more, one more tool. I've got to fit it in. There's too much going on in the Bitcoin world. Since we're talking about web wallets, let's talk about the good folks at Blockchain, one of the original fantastic web wallets. The Blockchain guys now also have a merchant application for Android devices. Go out to blockchain.com now, the website which is finally active. It'll point you to the place that you can download the Android application that allows you to easily accept Bitcoin from your customers. What's one of the advantages of the blockchain app? Well, as soon as it is installed and set up, the app can start receiving Bitcoin payments instantly via the blockchain API. And there are no fees on payments. And unfortunately, the Bitcoin merchant app is not available on Apple's iOS. But the great thing about it for Android is like the best things in life, it's free. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Can you handle one more tool? Let's make it five tools of the week this week. This one uses Namecoin, and it allows you to receive Bitcoin with just your username. It's OneName.io. How do you receive payments with OneName? First, you claim a username and create a profile. Then you direct your friend to your page on one name, and then they click on the QR code and pay with Bitcoin. With one name, you can claim a unique global username. You can store your profile in the blockchain. You can own your online identity and data. You can share Bitcoin QR codes the simpler way. Just say your username. And also, you can allow people to easily look up your PGP public key. Well, you can get started with one name at onename.io. You can also go out and look at mine, onename.io slash madmoneymachine. Well, that's five tools of the week. And like the best things in life, they're all free. The best things in life are free. No, that's it. Keep going. Call the Mad Money Machine voicemail line at 571-366-7121. All right, let's do that right now and take some of your calls. Just listen to your podcast here in Orlando, Florida. It's 9 a.m. on the 12th, 
and love your show. And unlike that nice lady that calls that doesn't care about Bitcoin, I really do. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Thank you for calling. Let's take one more caller. Hey, Paul. Listen to your show on podcast and you said to call. So it's uh, 11.03 on March 12th. And I just had one quick question. Are you Satoshi Nakamoto? I think you might be. This is Mark Milovit from Chicago, Illinois, signing off. Oh, man, you got me. I am Satoshi. Calling from California. It's about 6.30. And my question for Bitcoin is actually for an altcoin Proto shares. And can you explain how that was forked into BitShares, PTS, or some some sort of alternative? There's something going on there I don't quite fully understand, and I would like to. Thank you, and I enjoy your show. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. I have no idea. Go to invictus.io slash bitshares-pts.php or invictus, I-N-V-I-C-T-U-S dot I-O for more information about ProtoShares, BitShares PTS, and BitShares X. Let's take another call. Hey, Paul, this is Mark in Highland, Southern California, listening to your podcast. And my real question is, is Bitcoin the new international currency? Will it become the currency of the new world order? That's a good question. Thank you. One coin to rule them all, indeed. Yes, this will be the currency of the new world order. And as soon as we have everybody in the world trading back and forth using Bitcoin, then we'll pull the plug on it. One more call of a more serious nature. Hey, Paul. Um, hi, how are you? My name is Albert. I'm actually calling from outside the United States. I'm calling from Venezuela. I just wanted to congratulate you on your excellent show. It's been really helpful for me in learning about Bitcoin. And um, just to let you know, my uh, interest in Bitcoin is because here in Venezuela, we have an exchange control, uh, a government exchange control. So we can really access um, dollars uh, freely without limitations. So I um, I see Bitcoin as a way of um, freeing ourselves of that limitations. Uh, the problem I have is I can't really find that many people willing to take uh, Bolivares, which is the local currency, uh, for Bitcoins. <laughs> so it's a, it's a really hard, and um, there are no uh, exchange, not that I know of, uh, that uh, do the, the conversion. So, well, um, I just wanted to let you know that you have at least one listener outside the United States, and... Um, uh, I really uh, appreciate what you're doing, and uh, keep it up, right? Okay, so uh, goodbye. Yeah, you know, on the one hand, um, it's kind of unfortunate uh, living in Venezuela with the currency controls, and you can't get into Bitcoin easily. But on the other hand, man, you've got some beautiful weather. You know, we've had 12 days here this winter where we've the schools have been closed because of the snow. Today, uh, yesterday, rather, uh, Monday, March 17th, was another one of them near the Washington, D.C. area. Had about 12 inches of snow dump on us overnight. But uh, Venezuela sure sounds lovely. I guess the best way to uh, uh, receive Bitcoin is to do something. Work for Bitcoin. You know, trying to mine Bitcoin these days is kind of hard. You could try to mine some uh, altcoin, I guess, like a a doge coin or something and then sell those for bitcoin or you or you could sell some stuff for bitcoin uh perhaps to somebody else that has bitcoin so that's really kind of three ways that i can think of mine it using an altcoin uh, do work for bitcoin or sell something for bitcoin my best friend's in venezuela and he sent me a letter and a photograph Time now for the Madman Machine Market Minute. 
Boy, things have really stabilized this past week in millibit pricing. The uh, high last week in millibits, 65 cents. The low, 62 cents. Very stable currency, this Bitcoin. Uh, the current price, 62 cents. The total millibits in circulation, 12.48 billion. That works out to market cap of $7.79 billion. Average time between blocks, shortening now to seven and three quarters minutes. The reward per block, $15,600. And the transaction fees per block, about $79. That's your Madman Machine Millibit Market Minute. Let's hear what Eric Schmidt of Google had to say recently about Bitcoin. The technical answer in Bitcoins is that Bitcoins is a remarkable cryptographic achievement. And the ability to create something which is not duplicable in the digital world has enormous value. Really, and hard. Very hard, but it's incredibly useful for many, many computer applications. So without commenting on whether the Bitcoins will get regulated, because you're the expert, not, and uh, (laughs) you guys are the expert, not me, the Bitcoin architecture, literally the ability of of having these ledgers that can't be replicated, is an amazing advance, and lots of people will build businesses on top of that. And now, just to compare and contrast Bitcoin, as Eric Schmidt describes it, with um, dollars. Here's Steve Leisman on CNBC. The issue is, you know, you can use something like this. You can send a message, video, music around the world instantaneously. Your money, not so fast. In fact, there's sometimes you can get the sweater faster than the merchant gets the money for the sweater that you bought. And so the question is, why does it take money so long to travel? Sometimes one to three days around the world. A couple reasons. Regulations. In fact, money is slowing down because of regulations uh, in the post-Dodd-Frank era batch processing and an antiquated banking system. All of that part of the world when we used to write checks. We don't do that anymore, but some of the technology hasn't caught up. Finally, there are toll takers along the way, people who uh, check the availability of funds and really add add a piece on this. And the question is whether or not you can both speed it up and reduce the cost of sending money. No, you know, I can't really think of a way that money could be sped up and the cost of it uh, be reduced. Just there's nothing that comes to mind there. Well, it looks like the old clock on the wall says we're running out of time for this episode of the Mad Money Machine. There was a, some other things I wanted to get to. For example, the Great Wall of Numbers book about Bitcoin 2.0. I read that. Uh, the Goldman Sachs paper, 25 pages long about Bitcoin. That was an interesting read. Maybe I'll report on these uh, next time. We're looking at some Wall Street uh, endorsed Bitcoin exchanges coming up on the rise. We're looking at the UK coming out in a pro-Bitcoin stance. And the New York Department of Financial Services is issuing early Bitcoin licenses to get this thing started. There's also a paper that came out from Western Union talking about what Bitcoin. And one of the uh, listeners to this show went out to Reddit and created a Madman Machine subreddit, which I'm sure will only turn out to be embarrassing for its <laughs> lack of activity. But I appreciate the thought. Uh, it's the thought that counts. Madman Machine uh, subreddit. Well, until next Tuesday, I am so glad you took the time to listen to the Madman Machine. If you've got anything uh, you'd like to let me know, either tweet it at Madman Machine, email it, Bitcoin at Madman Machine, phone it in, 571 7121 or just shout it from the rooftops. This is Paul Boyer saying it takes money to make money. It takes millibits to make a mad money machine. I'll see you next Tuesday. In the meantime, buy some Bitcoin, spend some Bitcoin, donate some Bitcoin, and replenish your Bitcoin. Then go out to ltbcoin.com and see what's happening in the new world of the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network altcoin. Thanks very much, everybody. See you next Tuesday.